Hello? Okay, good. Uh, good morning. Uh, actually, I have to get used to saying good morning because our church meets in the afternoon, so we, we, we say good afternoon. But uh, it's a pleasure for me to be here. Uh, we love uh, you guys. We love the church, Maranatha Grace. And in fact, this afternoon, we are praying for you during our worship service, uh, especially for the elders, for the, you, the congregation, as well as the transition that uh, you're going through, pastoral transition. And uh, so let me pray uh, before we uh, look to God's word uh, and what he has to say to us. Father, we thank you for uh, your word. Thank you that you have given us your word so we can hear you, hear from you directly. We thank you for this church. We thank you for the way you've uh, brought um, your word to, to the congregation. And, and it's just been a blessing for me and for our church to see uh, how you've uh, grown this church and how you've changed people's lives. And so we pray that you, you will continue to do that, uh, that work of the gospel and the gospel transform people, transforming people's lives. Uh, we thank you for your word. Um, as we listen to you, help me to receive to the background and that your word and your spirit's power will come to the foreground. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When you think of uh, who Jesus is, what his character is like, what comes to your mind? If you're like me, what comes to the top of our mind is his compassion, his sacrificial love, his love for us, and his gentle and his kindness, the fact that he came to die on the cross for our sins. In fact, you probably have heard people, uh, maybe some of, your, some of your friends or your colleagues or, or family members say something like this. I like Jesus in the New Testament because he's kind and loving and compassionate. I like that he was a good teacher. But the God of the Old Testament, I don't like him at all because he seems so vengeful, so angry. But our New Testament God is the same God as the Old Testament God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Characterized by steadfast love throughout the ages. And as we look at today's passage, and in fact, you, you, you're, you, I'm sure you caught the, the phrase when the scripture was read this morning, uh, just a few minutes ago. It talks about Jesus' anger. Jesus in the New Testament was not just gentle and compassionate. It surprises us when we hear that he was also angry. His anger was and is very real. And yet very different from yours or mine. And could it be that his anger is good for us? Is that part of his good news? the good news of the gospel. So we look into this question as we go through today's passage and mark together. And before we dive into today's passage, uh, I think it will be helpful for us to backtrack a little bit so that we understand the context since we just jumped right into Mark chapter 3. So today's passage is part of five stories of confrontation between Jesus Christ and the religious rulers, the scribes and the Pharisees. So in the beginning of chapter 2 of Mark, Jesus healed a paralytic 
And you may remember that he was brought through the roof by four friends. And the religious rulers accused Jesus of blasphemy and complained. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Then the next story, also in Mark chapter 2, was about Jesus calling a tax collector, Levi, which is also called Matthew, and then going to his house for a dinner party. Again, the Pharisees accused Jesus of sinning because he was associating with sinners and tax collectors who, was, who were hated by the Jews. And then they accused Jesus of allowing, allowing his disciples, of not, or, or not allowing or not commanding them to do religious fasting, which they thought was critically important. And then on a Sabbath day, the Pharisees were accusing Jesus of letting the disciples to do something that was unlawful in their mind, that is picking grain on the Sabbath. So you see that the conflicts between Jesus and the religious rulers keep escalating, and they're about to reach a boiling point when we get to this passage in Mark chapter 3. So today's passage is the last of the early confrontation between the Jews, Jewish leaders and Jesus Christ. And Jesus gets angry. So let's try to understand why and how Jesus gets angry. And what does that mean for us? And as we dig into this, as we dig into this passage, we'll look at the story in four scenes. Withered hand, watchful eyes, wrath of Jesus, and wicked plan. And then we'll conclude with what is our response. So scene one, in verse one, let me read again verse one. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And in a parallel passage in Luke, it says, on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. Today's incident also happens on a Sabbath day, probably in Capernaum where some of the other incidents had taken place. And as all of the God-fearing Jews would do, Jesus and his disciples went to the synagogue to worship. And whenever Jesus is in the synagogue, he's there to teach. And while he was teaching, he sees the man with a withered hand. The Greek verb of the withered indicates that the man was not born with this condition, but it was likely a result of either sickness on injury. And other historical documents seem to indicate that he was a stonemason. So we can imagine that while he was cutting stone, he injured his right hand. So he could no longer work. He was disabled. And Jesus noticed this man, noticed, notices this man with a withered hand. And perhaps he was a regular worshiper at the, at the synagogue desperately praying that God would heal him. Or he may have been there to beg, seeking compassion from other worshipers. But here, while Jesus was teaching, he sees a man with a withered hand, and he has compassion. Jesus seems to turn up wherever there are hurting people, and he approaches and calls on them. There's no indication of the man shouting out to Jesus for help. Jesus is the one who notices and approaches. 
He's the compassionate one who is drawn to the hurting. And don't we experience that ourselves, especially when we are hurting, when we're going through difficult struggles, whether it's sickness or job loss or family issues. That's some, often when we experience God's compassion even more generously, perhaps through God's people coming around you, bringing you food to remind you of God's goodness. And if you are going through struggles, as, a, as I, in a large crowd like this, I'm sure there are some that are going through different struggles. Yeah, let's turn to Jesus as he invites us. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Because Jesus is compassionate to the hurting. All right, so that's scene one, withered hand. Let's go to scene two, watchful eyes. Let me read verses 2 and 3 again. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. Here, they are the Pharisees. And of course, the Pharisees would be in the synagogue because they were ultra-religious people. But on this day, they were not at the synagogue to worship. Look at the language. Instead, they were there to watch Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. They also see the man with the withered hand. But for them, it's not compassion. The disabled man is a simply a pawn in their scheming. Jesus is teaching, and they are watching and scheming. Their ears are now focused on what Jesus was teaching. They were watching to see what Jesus would do. They know that Jesus has the power to heal because by now his fame has spread throughout the regions and people were flocking to him to hear him preach, bring to him all who were sick and demon-possessed. The Pharisees were passionate in protecting their way of practicing religion. So they develop all kinds of rules beyond what the Bible says. We're actually the good intent of trying to make things practical. So, for example, regarding the Sabbath, Moses had prohibited work on the Sabbath day in order to benefit us so that we can rest from work and worship God. But the Pharisees created additional rules. In fact, 39 specific things that you cannot do. So, for example, it was forbidden to bake food. It was forbidden to sew or tear cloth, clothing or to transact business or to provide medical service. And healing would be a form of work. So if Jesus healed a man on that day, they got him. And by their interpretation of the law, Jesus would be a clear lawbreaker. The Pharisees permitted healing only for the sake of saving a life, such as uh, somebody, if someone were to give her birth. But this man's problem was not life-threatening. His hand was injured for a long time. So if Jesus healed him today, they could accuse him of breaking the Sabbath. And according to, according to 
Exodus chapter 31. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. It was an offense punishable by death. So Pharisees were not at the synagogue to worship. They were there to trap Jesus, to catch him in the act of compassion and then accuse him of breaking the law. They don't doubt that Jesus can heal, but will he really heal on the Sabbath day and hence break their law or their tradition? You can feel the tension. They are watching Jesus. They are putting Jesus to trial there. This was a trap. They had seen Jesus to be compassionate with power to heal. And if he heals him, they got him. Interestingly, Jesus could have just, just as well told the man that, please, I love you. Come back tomorrow. I'll meet you just outside the synagogue, and I will heal you. That would have been a perfectly good thing to do. And that would have avoided any conflict with the Jewish leaders. But look at what Jesus does. He calls on the man and tells him to come forward. The scornful eyes of the Pharisees are now fixed on the man with with their hand. The man was probably embarrassed. He He was probably fearful, wondering what was going to happen. But he comes forward, perhaps because he knew that in the past, Jesus had the miraculous healing of the people in the town. But will Jesus heal him on the Sabbath? Can he trust this Jesus, even though he's likely to face the anger of the religious rulers and perhaps rejection from the synagogue? Jesus tends to these miracles very, pri- very publicly in the Bible. You may recall another incident in Jesus' early ministry that he instantly heals a, a woman who's been suffering from a constant bleeding for many years. She touches the garment and she's instantly healed. But then he calls her out of the crowd. She wanted to do this very privately, discreetly. But Jesus calls her out of the crowd, and the woman identifies herself with fear and trembling. And Jesus assures her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. You see, he wanted this woman to understand that it wasn't the magic of touching the garment that made her well, but a faith in Jesus and the grace and the healing power of the Son of God. You see, believing and following Jesus is not something mystical or something that's private for us, but it's identifying with Jesus even when it doesn't seem like a popular thing to do. So what about us? How are we seeing and Jesus? How are we seeing Jesus and responding to Jesus? Like the man with the withered hand who heard Jesus and trusted him even with fears and doubts. Or like the Pharisees who stood at a distance in order to judge him. The Pharisees, or the eyes of the Pharisees are now fixed on the man standing in front of the synagogue. They are thinking, he's not going to die. Healing this man will be 
clear violation of their Sabbath rules. And everybody in the room knows that this is the issue. The disabled man knows that this is the issue. The congregation in the synagogue knows that this is the issue. And Jesus knows the issue. So now we move to scene three, the wrath of Jesus. So let me read verses four and five again. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Jesus intentionally heads into the conflict because he knew what was in their heart. Jesus asked, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm or to save life or to kill? On one level, Jesus is asking them, don't you know that it is better for me to heal and to do good even on the Sabbath day? By asking this question, Jesus is reminding them of the scripture that they should know in Proverbs, for example, where he said, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again, and tomorrow I'll give it when you have it with you. So Jesus is authoritatively declaring to them, you should know the scriptures. It is better to show compassion, especially on the Sabbath day. But there's another layer of meaning, actually much more um, direct meaning, that Jesus is speaking to their hearts, the heart of the Pharisees. In both parts of his question, to do good or to do harm, or to save life or to kill, he's actually exposing the heart of the Pharisees See, he's asking, isn't it better for you to desire to do good than to try to do harm by setting a trap and accusing me and trying to kill me? You see, Jesus is addressing the hearts and asking them, shouldn't you be desiring to do good and to save life? Jesus came to teach, to heal, and to save life. They came to accuse and to kill. The Pharisees had no interest in the life of this poor man. Their only interest was to figure out how to get rid of Jesus, how to charge him with breaking the law and with blasphemy because they felt threatened of losing their power and authority. For them, Jesus was dangerous. So the Pharisees could not answer. They were silent, Scripture tells us. How could they? They knew the right answer. But if they said, of course it is better to do good, they would be guilty of lack of compassion. But if they say, no, it is not lawful, they knew that despite their traditional rules, the Scripture was against them. So they would be guilty of not obeying the Scripture instead of sticking with their traditions. So they remained silent. 
their silence was far louder than any words they could have spoken that day. And Jesus looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Jesus gets angry. He shows his deep emotions. The original Greek word, orge, is very clear in the intensity of emotion. It means wrath, anger, expression of strong displeasure and hostility. It was an emotional, profound anger in the context of what these Pharisees were doing. By the way, this is the only time in the New Testament that this word is explicitly used of Jesus in describing his emotions. But was he angry at other times? Probably all of us could recall the incidents when Jesus cleansed the temple at the beginning of his ministry and then again at the end of his ministry. But this Mark passage is the only time in the New Testament it actually says Jesus was angry using the word orge. Why was he so angry? And there are several layers we can unpack regarding his anger. So first, Jesus loved this man with a withered hand and had compassion on him. So he was angry that the Pharisee didn't care about him, was instead trying to use him as a pawn in their scheming. And we can relate to this because we're made in God's image. When we see injustice being done to the weak or to someone we love, we get angry. When we hear of a young child being abused by an adult, we get angry. And we ought to get angry. It would be wrong or unloving if those situations did not cause us to be angry at the ugliness of sin and injustice. So when you love someone and when your beloved is threatened, it makes sense for us to be angry at the threat and protect our beloved. It's even more with Jesus, whose heart is steadfast with his love and tender mercy toward the sufferers. So Jesus loved the man with a withered hand. So when he is being threatened with scorn and as a pawn, Jesus gets angry. But there's another layer. It was anger and grief mixed together at their hardness of heart, the hard heart of the Pharisees. The idea is that the heart has become callous. And you know how one develops callousness in our hands or feet when there is repeated rubbing against the flesh. The repeated friction causes the skin to develop a hard protective layer. So for these Pharisees, the repeated rejections of the grace and compassion of Jesus have developed callousness on their hearts. The previous encounters with Jesus should have shown them that the Messiah was here, the one that they had claimed to be waiting for. But they were, and they were in the presence of this very Messiah, the very God, but they were blinded by their own traditions and rules. Their heart had become callous. So instead of understanding what the scripture has said about the Messiah, 
they repeatedly rejected him. Jesus showed that the kingdom of God had come, but instead of welcoming this king, they felt threatened because they wanted to hold on to their own power and their own rule. They had to decide, they had to decide what their God should look like, and it was not the God of the Bible, but God of their own traditions and their own rules. And the more they heard and seen the actual Son of God at work, the more they resisted. Sadly, the desire for authority and tradition was not compatible with grace and the power of Jesus. So their hearts had become harder and harder and had become calloused. And this is what Jesus was most, mostly grieved about. Just like the withered man with the withered hand, Jesus loved them and wanted them to receive this new kingdom of God, but they would have none of it. Their, this rejection of God's grace is what causes Jesus to be grieved and angry. It's a righteous anger, righteous and holy anger over the sin of repeated rejection of God's goodness and grace. And this is a warning for us today. Pastor and a theologian Sinclair Ferguson warns us, if Christ will not solve to my heart and transform my heart and fill my heart with joy, then the friction of the message of grace that I resist produces in me a heart callousness. So Jesus was angry. But that word probably still makes us a bit uncomfortable. We are much more comfortable with Jesus who is compassionate, loving, sacrificial. Many of us probably have read an excellent book by Dane Orland, Gentle and Lowly. And it resonated with us because it is true. It is deeply true that Jesus' heart is first and foremost gentle and lowly. So when we hear that Jesus got angry, it makes us a bit uncomfortable. We kind of wish that the Bible didn't include that part of the, those words. But I think that's because for us, when we get angry, it's usually quite different than how Jesus got angry. With us as fallen men, anger comes from desire to retaliate, to punish those whom you feel unjustly treated. For us, anger, spring, anger springs from self-love, self-protection, and often it's hasty temper that leads to irrational reactions. Our anger is often a result of our sin and leads to more sin. That's something that I had to, in my own life, had to confess and be convicted of that any time I get angry, it is 99.999% the case that it is not righteous anger. And we see this about human anger even in this text. As in verse 6, the Pharisees angrily leave the synagogue because they want to protect their position and authority. Their sinful anger leads them to conspire to kill Jesus. On the contrary, for Jesus Christ, his anger sprang from the love of the people. He never sinned. 
He came into this world as fully human. So he experienced full spectrum of human emotions. But he was perfectly human and at the same time perfectly God. So he never sinned in response to his emotions. He had become totally like us and yet without sin. Throughout the Gospels, you'll note that Jesus does not get angry at other sinners. Not at the tax collectors, not at the prostitutes, or even when his own disciple Peter denies him. Jesus reached out to the out and out sinners with arms open wide. He came to, he came to save sinners, welcome sinners who opened the gospel. But with the religious hypocrites who knew the truth but rejected the truth again and again and led people away from the truth, Jesus showed little patience. Jesus gets angry at the hardness of heart. Hardness of heart that led people away from the true God. Their sin of repeated rejection of God's grace grieved them deeply because Jesus loved them deeply. You see, perfect love and perfect anger go together. Jesus' anger is actually good for us. If Jesus didn't get angry at sin and injustice, he would not be a good God. Author and theologian David Paulison, who recently passed away, in his book, Good and Angry, he writes, you can't understand God's love if you don't understand his anger. Because he loves, he's angry at anything that harms those he loves, even our own sin. In the midst of this tense situation, we see his righteous anger and his loving mercy mingled together when Jesus heals this man. Jesus was driven by his compassion for the man so he says, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. So with all eyes fixed on this man, <coughs> and Jesus, Jesus tells the man to stretch it out, his hand. The man trusts in what he can do, and in the power of Jesus' words. So he stretched out his hand. And the hand was restored. Jesus healed the man instantly. And the congregation, the synagogue is stunned, both at the wonder of the miracle and probably at the fear of what the Pharisees are now going to do. Jesus spoke to the man with a simple command, stretch out your hand. And the man trusted and obeyed, and he received healing. Sadly, the same grace caused the heart of the Pharisees to be even more hardened. Their heart was set on wanting to destroy Jesus. Theologian Steve Lawson says these words, it's impossible to have an encounter with the living God and be unchanged. The same sun that melts the snow hardens the clay. So now we move to scene four. 
the wicked plan. The last verse that we read, verse uh, 6 of chapter, uh, Mark chapter 3, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. In the parallel Luke passage, it says, they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. The people should have been celebrating and praising God for this wonderful, miraculous healing. The man who could not use his hand and could not work, now his hand was restored. But the mark does not record any celebration. Any move for celebration may have been muted because the Pharisees were now furious and they stormed out of the building. They were filled with mad anger because they hated this Jesus who attacked their self-righteousness, spiritual pride. So they hold a council with the Herodians to scheme how to destroy Jesus. Incidentally, they were actually breaking their own Sabbath rule because now they're having a business meeting with the Herodians. So who are the Herodians? We read in the Bible about the Pharisees, but who are these Herodians? We don't, the Bible doesn't actually say a whole lot, but the historical sources seem to indicate that there were a group of non-religious political Jews who supported the ruler Herod Antipas and his dynasty. You may remember Herod Antipas was the one who arrested John the Baptist and eventually had him beheaded. They were also supporters of Roman occupation since the Romans kept them in power. So the Pharisees did not like the Herodians at all. So the Herodians and the Pharisees were the most unlikely alliance. But now the Herodians joined the Pharisees in opposition to Jesus, probably because they feared they might lose their power because Jesus might be an unsettling political influence. These two groups had nothing in common. They were basically political enemies, except for the fact they both saw Jesus as a threat to their own rule, to their own power, to their own authority. They wanted the status quo, so Jesus was dangerous. So they set out to destroy Jesus. So as we conclude, what is our response to what God is telling us in this passage, in this story of Jesus' healing and Jesus' anger against the sin of hardness of our heart? We saw two very different responses to Jesus in today's passage. First, the man with a withered hand obeyed simply and trusted Jesus to heal him despite inviting the wrath of the Pharisees. The story does not record any dialogue from him, only that he listened to Jesus and obeyed when Jesus called him to come to the front and stretch out his hand. His simple obedience resulted in his hand being restored. He can get his job back. We can picture him showing off his hand with joy and amazement and with thanksgiving. 
in the midst of tense situation of seeing Jesus' anger and seeing the anger of the Pharisees, this man was drawn to the compassionate heart of Jesus. So he simply obeyed, trusting the love and power of what Jesus can do. Jesus is compassionate to the humble who recognize that they need a savior. Then we see the second response in the Pharisees. Their heart was hardened, calloused, and they would not see the goodness of Jesus' compassion and power. They refused to see that Jesus is the God that they had been waiting for. Instead, for them, it's either them or Jesus. Either they will keep their rule and power, or they will lose their power and authority to Jesus. So they reject Jesus. Dear friends, yeah, who would you be? What is our response? Would you welcome the Son of God and simply trust Him with your life and draw near to Him in worship? Or do you prefer to hold on to your desire to rule your own life and your own plan? I want to, I know there are a bunch of youth here, and I'm really thankful that many of you are here and thankful for times when uh, our youth group get together with uh, Maranatha Youth Group here. So I want to especially speak to the youth group students who are here. Some of you may have been coming to the church for many years hearing the gospel, seeing people's lives change since you were very young. Yes, some of you may keep doubting whether Jesus is on your side. The attractions of the world, the friendship with the world, the friendship with Snapchat or TikTok, they may seem much better than friendship with Jesus. But dear friends, do not keep turning away from the grace of Jesus. Hebrews 3 tell, tells us, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Dear brothers and sisters, as you look at this very challenging thought of Jesus being angry, let us run to his grace. No matter how hard we may have been, how many times we may have rejected Jesus, if you turn to him, God tells us in Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put it within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And we, we sang in, in Zephaniah that God will sing, exalt with loud singing. And perhaps you may have been walking away from being in close fellowship with Jesus. The business of life or the attractions of the world may have taken you away from Jesus. Even then, let's turn back to Jesus who welcomes us and advocates for us. First John tells us, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Yes, God is angry at sin. God is angry at the repeated rejection of his grace, his loving grace. But the good news is that the anger that our sin deserves 
fell on Jesus. So let's turn to our God who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. Do not keep turning away from the grace of Jesus. Let Jesus who is gentle and lowly soften your heart and turn to him and then trust Jesus to be your king. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these scenes in Mark's gospel account. We thank you that you are human like us and yet without sin. We thank you that you love us and you hate sin and you came to the earth to abolish sin and death once for all. And as you show us your anger, we pray that when we are resisting you and when you frown upon our lives, help us to have sufficient sensitivity to turn back to you. We cry that you will continue to speak to us. We pray that we may not drift and eventually become deaf to your words. Dear Father, whatever our past may have been, however we may have sinned and failed, we pray, we pray for all of us that we may be like those whom Jesus has healed and simply obey and turn to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.